we close in on the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment and we witness the nomination of a black woman for United States Vice President, it might be an appropriate time to reflect on past efforts to bring a more perfect union to our country. The rolling hills of this region have observed the struggle for racial and gender equality for centuries. Here are a few examples. The story of Lucy Terry Prince is found in the shadows and margins of local history books. It is believed she lived from 1724 to 1821. Lucy was an African who had been enslaved in Deerfield, Massachusetts since she was a child. In 1756, a free black man, Abijah Prince, bought her freedom and they were married. During the 1760s, the princes moved to Guilford, Vermont. It is in Guilford that Luce Beja, as she called herself, fought for equality as a landowner and a citizen of Vermont. Luce was well known for her speaking skills. She used her oratorical prowess several times to defend her family's rights and property. In the 1780s, a neighboring family in Guilford threatened and bullied the princes in an attempt to chase them from their land. Lucy Terry Prince appealed to Governor Chittenden for protection. She presented her evidence and won the argument. The Vermont government ordered Guilford's select board to defend the princes against the aggression of their neighbors. Luce Beja was an example of resilience as she worked hard not only to survive economically but also to protect her family from racist harassment and vandalism. In a book entitled The Music of Black Americans, Mrs. Prince was recognized as a significant supporter of cultural efforts to maintain a sense of Africa in early America. Her storytelling and singing kept alive African traditions on a new continent. She made her home a gathering place for enslaved people and freedmen, a place where everyone could listen to tales and songs of old Africa and celebrate their culture here in America. In the summer of 1837, Reverend Edward R. Tyler, Royal Tyler's son, gave a series of abolition lectures in the Elliott Street Chapel. Edward R. Tyler was a spokesperson for the American Anti-Slavery Society and was hoping to establish a Brattleboro anti-slavery chapter in his hometown. Local history books and newspaper articles say that many people in Brattleboro were opposed to Tyler's efforts. For instance, the Congregational Preacher of Brattleboro recommended that anyone who attended the anti-slavery meeting should be expelled from the congregation. Two prominent local politicians were quoted as saying, We would ride Tyler out of town on a rail if he had no relatives and friends here whose feelings we respect, and I would provide the gunpowder if the mob would blow the damned abolitionists down the bank. Many people opposed to abolition formed a mob outside of the Elliott Street Chapel. As Reverend Tyler gave his speech, cannons were fired off and pots and pans were clanged to intimidate those who might go into the chapel to hear the abolitionist's words. Mary Palmer Tyler, Edward R. Tyler's mom, wrote in her journal, Great doings. Edward delivered a lecture on abolition at the chapel. Cannons were fired and all manner of noises were made to interrupt the services. At five o'clock, another lecture and increased noise of cannon, so much as to frighten some ladies away. Nevertheless, Edward proceeded undaunted. Meanwhile, these were Edward Tyler's words at the first meeting of the Anti-Slavery Society of Brattleboro Meeting in 1837. The time is coming when you will be compelled to take one side or the other, for this is not simply a question of Negro slavery. It is the cause of human rights. The institutions of freedom are in imminent danger. I may not live to see the day, my friends, when our country will be forced to unite as one to stem this mighty torrent of injustice, but I can see indications which cause me to believe the time is not so distant, but some in this room will see it. Clarina Nichols was Vermont's first well-known female leader for reform on women's issues. In the 1840s, Nichols was the editor of the local newspaper, the Wyndham County Democrat. She wrote editorials that argued for women's rights, African-American rights, children's rights, and prohibition. Her advocacy led to a change in Vermont law for married women. 
1847, the Vermont legislature passed statutes which established more rights for women. Married women gained the right to own property, write their own wills, and protect themselves from the debts of their husbands. This may not seem like much, but at the time, Vermont briefly led New England in women's rights legislation. In 1851, Nichols went on the national stage for women's rights by giving a speech at the Second National Women's Rights Convention in Worcester, Massachusetts. She argued for women's property rights and the rights of women to legally leave abusive relationships. In 1852, Nichols was the first woman to speak in front of the Vermont legislature, arguing for the right of women to vote. The legislature applauded her presentation, but did not act upon her request. Nichols continued to speak out and became a popular lecturer throughout New England. In 1853, Nichols spoke at the National Women's Convention in New York City. When asked to explain why she wanted to be able to vote, she replied, I want to have this power because I am deprived of the power of protecting myself and my children. In January 1866, Frederick Douglass spoke at Brattleboro's Town Hall on Main Street. The famous African-American social reformer spoke for an hour and three quarters and covered many topics. It had been less than a year since the Civil War ended and Abraham Lincoln had been assassinated. Less than a month earlier, the 13th Amendment to the Constitution had officially freed 4 million African-American slaves. During the same time, many southern states passed racist black code laws that limited African-American freedoms and forced many into involuntary labor. Andrew Johnson, the southerner who became president when Lincoln was shot, shared his opinion with Congress that African-Americans should not be granted voting rights or equal protections under the law, and he hoped to send the freed slaves to Africa. Amidst this turmoil, Douglas spoke on each of these subjects while visiting our town. According to the newspaper reporting from the Vermont Phoenix and the Vermont Record, Douglas was modest in demeanor, quiet in manner, while also a forceful, powerful orator. He spoke eloquently about Abraham Lincoln. He praised the Civil War president for the Emancipation Proclamation and his ability to keep the nation together. He worried about the direction of the country since the president's assassination. He chastised southern states for the creation of racist black codes. He disagreed with the current president's attempts at dismantling the Freedmen's Bureau. He spoke forcibly for the voting rights of African Americans and women. One of his most recited lines during this speaking tour was, I hold that women, as well as men, have the right to vote. In the 1870s and 80s, women in Vermont persisted in their fight for voting rights in state and federal elections, but continued to be frustrated. Meanwhile, other New England states were passing laws which allowed women to vote. It all came to a head in 1919. Vermont Governor Percival Clement was opposed to women's suffrage. The Vermont Senate was in favor, and the Vermont House narrowly supported a bill that would allow women to vote in presidential elections. The governor vetoed the bill, the Vermont Senate voted to override the veto, and the Vermont House of Representatives did not have enough votes to override the governor, so the bill did not become Vermont law. Vermont's government chose not to participate in the passing of the 19th Amendment. Locally, Brattleboro's representative in the Vermont House had been a strong advocate for the Women's Voting Rights Bill. George Dunham had chaired the House Committee on Suffrage and Elections and favorably reported the bill out of committee. Dunham gave a speech on the House floor that outlined the upward progress of women from practical slavery to their present status as second-class citizens and argued that granting women the right to vote would continue the positive trend for women on their road to equality. However, Vernon's Ernest Dunkley spoke for many representatives when he said, Women's suffrage would only be an extra burden on women, which I am not sure that they want. In that vein, Putney's representative, Edward Aiken, said, I fear that women's suffrage may mean man's suffering. 
Aiken's statement drew laughs from many men in the assembly, and the attempt to override the governor's veto failed. Edward Aiken was Vermont politician George Aiken's father. Here we are now, about 260 years after Lucy Terry Prince came to the Brattleboro area and fought for racial and gender equality in order to protect her family and property. And here we are now, 100 years after the 19th Amendment granted women the right to vote. And this past Wednesday, Vice Presidential nominee Kamala Harris, daughter of a Jamaican immigrant father and an Indian immigrant mother, said, This is a moment of real consequence for America. We wonder what Luce Bija, Edward Tyler, Clarinda Nichols, and Frederick Douglass would think of this moment. Please join us next week for another story from our community's past.